Ten years ago today, we welcomed our second child into the world. Clayton was born uh, Valentine's Eve uh, 2012 at Baptist Hospital. Now it's called St. Thomas Midtown. And after a few days in the hospital, we then took him home to be with his 19-month-old older sister, Montgomery. Now, I would not recommend a 19-month spread when you're going to have children. I'll tell the families that this morning. But we made the best of it. Megan and I adjusted to our new reality, and we learned to live into it. But when you become parents, there's a few things that kind of occur to you. First of all, you wonder, what did we used to do with all of our free time? Uh, we thought we were busy before, but now we're really busy. Secondly, you gain an entirely new appreciation for everything your parents did for you because it never occurred to you before that your parents did everything that you're doing right now. But more than anything, more than anything, you feel a sense of deep responsibility for the lives that you have been entrusted to take care of and you didn't know even from being married that you could love another human being the way that you love your child. And what we find as our kids get older is that every stage brings new challenges with it. When your kids are young and you're trying to be successful in your work and you're trying to earn a living and you're trying to keep your marriage alive and maintain friendships, that's a lot to do at one time. That's very stressful. And the stress of that is real. As Jim Schleicher said this past Wednesday in his talk on marriage, he said, many couples fall into the trap of pouring everything into their children and they neglect each other and the marriage takes a back seat. Children are the focus and nobody does this intentionally, but it's very common and, and, and it leads to some challenges. And if you didn't get to hear Jim's talk, we have it on our, on our website. When your kids get even older, you have a different set of worries. You have to navigate screens and social media and friendships. And, and then you have to worry when they start to drive. Are they going to be safe? Are they going to make it home? Are they going to surround themselves with good people? Are they going to make good decisions? Parenting is a lifelong journey that really doesn't end. It just brings a new set of worries every stage. Family life in general is one of those things that I think is perhaps the greatest source of blessing in life, but it can also be our deepest source of pain and frustration at times. And we know that family life is important, but we also know that families can be crazy with different expectations, different personalities, different dynamics. There is no perfect family. Every family has drama and baggage and issues, and yet I would say that the decline of family life in our culture is the root cause of so many of our problems that we see today. Jesus has some interesting things to say about family in Matthew's gospel, and Pharaoh, it's actually fitting that you drop the Bible during these words because they're actually hard to hear. He says in chapter 11, do not think that I've come to bring peace to the earth, I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set man against his father and daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law and one's foes will be members of one's own household. And then he says, whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. 
And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take up the cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Those who find their life will lose it. And those who lose their life for my sake will find it. What's he talking about here? Isn't family life hard enough? Aren't there enough divisions and unmet expectations and personalities in place already? Do we really need Jesus contributing to the divide? Isn't Jesus supposed to bring peace and harmony and love and compassion into our families? Isn't he supposed to be a unifying force? What's he talking about in these verses? I spent some time this week in the commentaries because this is a tough passage to wrestle with. Frankly, it'd be a lot easier to just skip over this part of Matthew and just keep on rolling with our, with our series. But what's he trying to say here? This text actually represents a real situation that was happening in Matthew's church where people sometimes had to choose between their family and their faith. In fact, many in that day thought that the breakdown of the family was a sign of the end times. What does, that, what does that mean? What does all this mean? Well, Matthew was affirming that in the early church, the Christian community was viewed as the family of God. And many times those ties in the church were closer and more demanding than actual family ties. But if you stop and think about it, many of us are, are closer to members of our church family than we are to our blood family. Maybe they don't live here in Nashville Maybe we don't get to see them very often, or maybe we just feel united by a common purpose and a common mission with others in the life of the church. Do you remember the show that ran back in the, I guess, late 90s, 2000s called Friends? Uh, They had a reunion episode last year, but it told the story of Ross, Rachel, Phoebe, Joey, Chandler, and Monica all living in New York. Uh, Ross and Monica are brother and sister. The rest of them are friends. And they shared life together. And some of them dated each other. Uh, Chandler and Monica got married. But they were like family. They were closer to each other than they were to their own family. And, And that show had such a great run because it showed how they shared life together, the good and the bad, the happy times and the sad times. And for many of us, it's true that our close friends are like family. We can't imagine life without them. Some families are closer than others. And there are lots of reasons for this. Different families have different dynamics and traditions. Uh, Some get together every weekend. Some get together a few times a year. Some don't even talk to each other. Others communicate all the time. Family life is complicated. Marriage is complicated. Raising children is complicated. But we cannot argue that we all need a basic support system in place. One of the things that we're working really hard on here at Woodmont, kind of moving out of the pandemic, is this notion of connection. We want people to connect, especially after uh, being uh, separated for so long. We want you to find people to share life with. And so Jay is going to start a new class in two weeks called the Connections class. We'll, We'll meet from 1045 to 1130. So if you're new and you're looking to meet new people, come to it. If you've been here a long time and you're looking to meet new people, you can, you can come to it. And there are other classes in place as well. It's also why we believe so much in, in life groups and small groups because life is meant to be shared. 
We're supposed to journey together and share life together. And this is where we find joy. This is why community matters. There's too many people in our world that feel like they don't have any friends. And that's not a good thing. Or they feel like if they have friends and they don't feel like they're very close to them, which is still not good. And so we need to connect on a human level, on an authentic level, a genuine level. Now back to these words of Jesus. What's he trying to say here? Why is he trying to bring division to families? A few thoughts this morning. First of all, Jesus is clear that not everybody in every family is going to make the decision to follow him. Not everybody in every family is going to accept the challenge of discipleship. So they will not be operating from the same set of values and principles. And this does bring tension and division. Or something else can happen. The different members of the family will accept different versions of Christianity that may not align. Think about how many churches and denominations there are in a town like Nashville. Uh, not every family approaches the faith the same way. And so in doing weddings over the years, I've found that it's a big challenge when certain couples get married. They have to decide how they're going to raise their children. Are we going to be Catholic or Methodist? Are we going to be Episcopalian or Presbyterian? And that's where Woodmont has always kind of filled that gap. But to be even more specific, you might have one family member who forgives something from the past and another one who won't let it go. You might have one family member who cares a lot about others and is always encouraging and loving and another that's completely self-absorbed and never asks about anybody else. You might have one family member who's always positive and complimentary and another who does nothing but criticize and tear down and gossip. These dynamics are real in families. And Jesus knew that. And so Matthew is clear that not everybody in the family is up for living with the same set of values and priorities. And this becomes a challenge. This can set a divide. My second thought this morning is that the breakdown of the family in our culture, ironically, has been directly correlated with the decline of the church's impact in our society. Let me say that again. The breakdown of the family in our culture has been directly correlated to the decline of the church's influence in society. And I don't think that that is a mere coincidence. These things are related. And we have to just name it for what it is. Uh, Jonathan Sachs, uh, who wrote that book, Morality, he actually identifies this well. He says, it's hard to avoid the conclusion that family breakdown must be part of the explanation for the sharp increase among young people in eating disorders, drug and alcohol abuse, stress-related syndromes, depression, and actual and attempted suicides. In other words, as the family breaks down, we see these things happening more and more in our culture. Now for Sachs, the family is the place where we can learn to love and care for each other. And when the family breaks down, for whatever reason, it has a ripple effect throughout the culture because people are not getting the love and the support that they desperately need. And this is where the church has a big role to play. Churches must support marriages and families and give people the tools that they need to have a healthy family. 
Churches must be vibrant places where children and youth can come to learn about Jesus. And then if things fall apart for whatever reason, and we know that that can happen, then the church must be there to help pick up the pieces and move you forward. Nobody has to be lonely or feel like they are all by themselves as long as the church is healthy and sharing the love and mercy of Jesus Christ. And this is good news. We've just lived through two years where people were isolated and socially distanced. And I think we know how that went. It wasn't good. It wasn't good for our schools. It wasn't good for our friendships. It wasn't good for our churches. Strong faith, deep spirituality, and community make all the difference in our families. And so we have to acknowledge that. Finally, my third thought this morning. When somebody comes to Jesus in chapter 12 and says, your mother and your brothers are standing outside and they want to talk to you, what does he say? He points over to his disciples and he says, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and my sister and my mother. For Jesus' real family is whoever does the will of God. Matthew's basic point is that those who have accepted Jesus's message and have been called to place the kingdom of God first, even above family loyalties, have found a new family in the community of disciples. And for Jesus, disciples are those who do the will of God, and that makes them brothers and sisters of Christ. Now, my friend Will Williman, Methodist bishop, teaches at Duke. He, he says it this way. He says, what do you have to do to, to be credibly called a Christian a contemporary follower of Jesus, you must be willing to be baptized, to be adopted by a new far-flung barrier, breaking family, the church. You must let go of your innate American rugged individualism and be subsumed in a family bigger and more demanding than to the one into which you were born. He says to be a Christian, you have to have your life taken over by Jesus, and that's to be joined into a family, a people convened by water and spirit, a family bigger and better than your biological family, a worldwide barrier-breaking family that goes by the name, the body of Christ. And so for Jesus, water is thicker than blood. Our baptism matters just as much or more than our biological family. But I want to close this morning by just saying a few words about love. Because tomorrow's Valentine's Day. And I think love is at the heart of family life and discipleship. And by the way, I don't think it has to be an either or. Jesus says sometimes it will be, but I don't think it has to be. If we want to be followers of Jesus, then we first have to take care of the people that we say are most important to us, our families. We have to start living out our faith at home with our families. What does that look like? What does that look like in action? Think about what Paul said. Love is patient. Do we show patience? Do we get irritated easily? Do we get frustrated? Love is kind and kindness matters. Love is not envious or boastful or arrogant or rude. Envy is a turnoff. Envy makes us miserable. Comparison, it's been said, is the thief of joy. We're called to be confident, but not arrogant, not boastful, not rude. We can't act like we're always right. Love does not insist on its own way. Love is not irritable or resentful. 
I can get irritable. I can get resentful. And usually when that starts to happen, I need to pull back. I need to withdraw. Love does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but it rejoices in the truth. I think it means that we shouldn't find joy when other people do something wrong or when something bad happens to them. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. What Paul is saying here is that love has the ability to conquer anything in life. And if we choose to love, then we usually can't go wrong. If we choose something else, like fear or resentment, then we often run into problems, and we know that. Love is a powerful force in life, and that's what Jesus taught, and that's what Jesus lived. Just about every single day, both in our families and in our faith, we have to make the decision, will we love or will we not? And if we intentionally choose love, then we can have a healthy family and a healthy life of faith and not let fear and anger and bitterness get in the way. It's our choice. Amen.